Hi. Can everyone hear me okay? Yeah. Thanks so much for coming. Um, we really want to make this a discussion today and interactive. So we actually have a hashtag, which is up on our screen there, Brand POV South by Southwest. So if you have any questions during and you don't want to wait till the end, feel free to tweet. And I'm keeping an eye on it on my phone at the same time. So we'll see how good I am at multitasking. <laughs> Um, I'd love to just do a quick poll. Um, is, sorry. Um, I'd love to just do a quick poll of sort of who is from the brand side, who works sort of an agency side. So you just put your hand up if you're from in-house or in a brand. Okay, lots of people. And what about agency side? Okay, about 50-50. Okay, well, we have both on this panel, so we're trying to get both perspectives. Um, Great. So, yeah, let's do some intros. We'll just go down the line. So, hi, um, I'm Liv Allen. I'm a VP at CodeWord. We are a PR and content agency for tech brands. Good morning. My name is Aronde Sekou Creighton, based in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm with Leadership Circle. I serve as Chief Diversity Officer. Hi, I'm Sa Ooh. Uh -oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Hang on, guys. I did the lapel one. <laughs> I'm Sally Frickman. And I'm the chief marketing officer of two startups, uh, Pronto and Pollen. And I'm Lyle Weston. Uh, I work at a, I'm a director at a firm called Joel Frank. We're a strategic communications agency focused on event-driven crisis work uh, for companies in, in bet-the-moment situations. Cool. Thanks, guys. Um, so, yeah, the theme of this panel, we think, is hotter than ever right now. And when it comes to addressing social issues or not, um, most brands can't seem to get it right at the moment. So that's what we're going to be discussing today. Excited to be joined by all of these lovely people. So, well, let's kick it off. So um, it feels like, yeah, brands are under more pressure to speak out on social issues and have a point of view. Um, why do you think that is? Let's see. <laughs> um, well, I think we're in a, like, this digital world where news is going, like, coming fast and furious at us, and I think that brands do feel a lot of pressure to speak up and speak fast as these issues arise, and so I think it's really hard for them to make, you know, quick, educated, but also, um, like, genuine choices around that. Yeah, and, and Sally, I'd add to that. I, I, I think I see three reasons how, how we got here today and how things are changing. I think you're, you're dead right. The, the digital component of, of everyone's got a smartphone in their hands, everyone's looking at it right now. Not only is the information reaching you faster, but people who didn't have a voice previously now have a very large voice. And when they band together, it's, it's even larger than that. I think second is a demographics. Um, you know, millennials are becoming a very large group where advertisers are focusing their money and brands are more focused than ever on millennial opinions and millennials are more focused than we've ever seen on, on corporate social responsibility, how brands take actions, what they're speaking out on. And I think the last thing is, is politics. You know, more than ever, brands have become a tool for politicians to make their point. And, and on any given day, any politician can draw any brand into any conversation you know, depending on what that brand is, has going on. And it's more important than ever to be ready for that to happen. 
Yeah, and just building on what Lyle said about millennials and, and what people's expectations are, we're at a place in time where people aren't just working simply for that paycheck, direct deposited twice a month. There's a little bit more expectation that there's a connection between values and what I'm bringing to this organization. So I think when you think about those who have marginalized or subordinated identities, they are getting a louder voice. And frankly, people are saying, I'm tired of people not saying anything about these issues, um, whether that's speaking out in the public or speaking up within the organization. So all of those, I think, are factors into why we're seeing more of this need and this push to, you know, raise your hand and, and let us know where you stand. So um, when you're thinking about social issues, why do you think some get more attention than others? I'll go first. I think it's important to set the stage for that, that, that we've experienced, you know, something like a wave. And, you know, there was a time, let's call it five years ago or so, where, you know, it, it was uncommon for a brand to speak out on a social issue. And I think it became super common over the last, let's call it two to three years. And, and we're coming back from that. And, and Fortune did a survey in 2022 and 2021. And they asked company, the Fortune 500 CEOs, you know, are, are companies speaking out enough? Are they speaking out too little? And uh, in 2021, it was 75-25. People should be speaking out more. You know, there should be more voices. In 2022, it went down to 50-50. And, and they haven't done it for 2023 yet. But, you know, I think we're seeing our clients, companies are more reticent to take on every single issue. They, they need to find something to focus on um, and, and find something that fits with, within their business model. And, and the, the fitting within the business model, we've talked about this. That's one of the keys. You know, everybody wants to speak up on every single thing that comes out. And the reality is a lot of us can see that as extremely performative, right? You think that you're going to lose sales or lose loyalty from XYZ company if they don't speak out on this issue. But we, we then don't see the alignment with what you're doing internally as an organization and the issue that you speak up on. So, um, you know, this is why it's important to have folks like Lyle and Liv and, and Sally who are really um, helping organizations and keying in on what is it that's important to your organization and why? And how do we make sure that there's alignment between those values that you're speaking of and the issues that you're speaking out on? Yeah, and quite frankly, I think some of it is revenue-based. Like investors are looking at, you know, more diversity and boards are looking for more diversity. And I think brands do feel that pressure to speak out on everything and show like, you know, we have a cause, we care about social issues. But to Arande's point, making sure that you're aligned with the brand. And if you're speaking out on every, every single thing, it does feel disingenuine. And also, how can you possibly focus on absolutely everything? You know, so, so, yeah. Yeah, so we're saying, let's not speak out on everything, but what about speaking out on nothing? Do you think it's possible for a brand now, these days, to just say nothing at all? Yeah, Liv, I think that's a super interesting question, and, and um, it's almost like a, 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 a thought exercise. And, and I think that there's a wide range of, of where brands fit on the spectrum. I think, you know, are there brands that can speak out on nothing? Maybe. I think a year ago, we're sitting here, and FTX is, you know, we're all applauding their corporate social responsibility efforts and, and the investments that they made in, in, you know, making the world a better place. You know, today they're bankrupt and, and they're focused on maximizing value on creditors. So, you know, are they speaking out on social issues? Probably not. You go to the other end of the spectrum, you have companies that, that sat in here a few days ago, Patagonia, Ben & Jerry's, you know, they, they speak out on a lot of issues. And I think that's core to their business. They believe 
that speaking out on issues um, you know, drives customers, right? And is, and is the right thing to do. I think where most brands should be is probably somewhere in the middle, right? And I think one example that, that we talk about a lot is, is L'Oreal. They've come up with, they've just launched a, a, a new supply chain a ESG initiative. Um, it's a transparent approach to trying to ensure that there is a living wage across their entire supply chain. It's a sustainable program. And it, it comes in three phases. They've, they've set a goal. They're, they've committed to working with their partners, their customers, and others in, in achieving those goals. And they're going to validate it with a third party. And, and that is a bold approach that you don't see a lot of companies do. But I think you know, we'll see in, a, in, in some time whether it fit within their, their long-term sustainability program and whether it drove business. But you know, they've picked something to, to be a leader on. They picked something that they think aligns with their business and they think it's going to drive value for it. And I think that's where probably most brands should be. Pick, pick something. Well, I've worked for brands that had <laughs> no voice on social issues. They refused to speak up on anything. And we talked about a little bit earlier that one of the brands I worked for was safety. And it was in autonomous vehicles, right? But there's no data, real actual data around safety for autonomous vehicles. And so... What I felt is it was a revenue play. Like, let's get legislation passed to get autonomous vehicles on the road, and we promise they're going to be safer. We promise they're going to be more sustainable. But when it came to issues that, like, I felt really passionate about as the chief marketing officer, for example, when Roe versus Wade was overturned, I begged them to speak up and say something. It's a global company. It affects everyone globally. And um, my husband's company did a phenomenal job of addressing the issue, even ahead of the overturning of the legislation and really reaching out internally to their employees, again, a global company, and saying, we're here for you. And then um, when it actually happened again, we're here for you. You know, these are the things that we're going to do to support you emotionally, you know, medically. And Again, I got the response of, well, you know, we're concerned about the backlash. And I'm like, we're a Silicon Valley company. You know, we're Silicon Valley based. This is something that should be addressed. And internally, they're like, okay, well, we'll pay for transportation. But they never said it to any of the employees. So, I mean, I think as chief marketing officer and someone who is, does feel um, committed to social justice, it was such a disappointing time. And we talked about it a little bit. That is why it's important to have diverse voices at the table, because at least you can try your best to advocate, um, and then you can decide, like, maybe this, maybe this isn't, you know, the right place for me. Yeah, I think building off what Sally said there, um, this is where looking around the C-suite and the board and seeing if you have uh, different opinions, different experiences, um, different lived experiences, this is where this becomes important. You know, if we're, if we're being honest in many of our corporations, um, everyone's talking about trying to be diverse throughout the organization. And we still see, as we get into the executive and the C-suite ranks, predominantly white males in those um, positions. And so when you have that, a lot of times that's what's going to cause a little bit of the discomfort of feeling like I have to walk on eggshells because how, I don't know how we speak up on this particular issue. Yeah, you don't know because you don't have other people with lived experience that can share with you, hey, hello, 
we need to say something about this. We need to speak to the human dignity that we all expect to have, right? And so this is why things such as, as inclusion and equity become important, because if we have female leaders in the room, if we have uh, members of LGBTQIA plus in the room, if we have transgender and neurodiverse individuals in the room, now we've got these different perspectives that are saying, hello, this is why this is important. This is why we need to speak up on this. Even if it's speaking up and letting our employees know that this is important, we need to do something, right? But if I'm looking in the mirror and everybody looks exactly like me, we're not going to have that diverse uh, uh, experience and perspective. Yeah, so Rhonda, I want to touch on that a bit more as Chief Diversity Officer. What part are you playing in leadership circles, sort of strategy for so speaking out on social issues as well as you know your work with cu uh, customers and clients? Yeah, so, you know, I, I think that one of the most important places to start is internal. One of the things that I know both through lived experience and through doing this work is marginalized and subordinated people have really high bullshit meters. Mm -hmm. Okay? So I, I think I was the first one to, to drop yeah. the curse word, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's <laughs> shut the F up, right? But the, but the bullshit meters are there, and people know when you're just saying this to check the box, Right? And so we need to be able to have the conversations to say, hey, do our employees recognize that this is what our stance is? Do they understand that this is how we're engaging in this conversation and in this topic? And, and there's some situations where we don't need to speak out in the general public. <clears throat> we just need to speak out internally. I think too many times people want the pat on the back that this is what we did. Hey, I mean, what is it, $20 million or so were given after the murders of uh, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, uh, George Floyd in 2020. And there's still people saying, okay, yeah, there was some money put on the table, there were some promises, but what's different, right? We get to 2023 and Tyree Nichols is murdered. What's different, right? And so what are we doing internally? I mean, within you know uh, the organization that I'm a part of, we spent a year as a leadership team going through our own stuff. What are our own unconscious biases that we have? What are our own lived experiences that are showing up in how we're running this organization? And then from that experience, I now have a lot more empathy and understanding as I'm reaching out into the community and having these conversations, right? The funny thing about doing diversity work is there's no right or wrong way to do it. And the more you learn, the more you realize, I don't know shit, <laughs> right? The more I'm out there, the more I'm understanding, oh, wow, I didn't realize, uh, you know, uh, people who, who may be wheelchair users, when you put something in your job description around must be able to lift 20 pounds, that's, that's an old way of, of just isolating those individuals, right? So what are the things that we're doing internally within our organizational structure that then we can use that same information to go out into the public and have conversations? And I think that's where the important starting point is. Yeah, I agree. Have your shit together before you start speaking to anyone else. Lyle, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I think the one point, Arande, that I'd add on that is is, is use your, your, your resource groups, right? You, you have probably in your companies, you know, resource groups for, for different groups. Um, and, and you guys should be speaking to them. If, if there's an issue that, that relates to them, that they're probably going to know the issue better. They're going to know where the employee base is on the issue. You know, to Arande's point, you know, speaking out in public is, is not necessarily going to scratch the itch for them. F talk to them, find out what they need, what they're looking for, um, and, and how they feel about it, and, and tailor what you're trying to do to fit that need. You know, don't do it just because you think it's right. Find out it's actually right first. 
I think too, like, again, I worked at a company with none of that, right? No resource groups, you know, HR trying to do values and equity and just seriously lip service. It was, it was so far down on the list of, you know, the, the importance that was placed in this organization. And um, I think that for me, not being afraid to kind of like scream and shout, even though it made them deeply unhappy. It was just constant, constant, like emailing and talking. And, um, and I think not being afraid to do that is so, so important. And um, even if, you know, you don't wind up there, the hope would be at least you put like this teeny, tiny bug in somebody's ear. But, um, you know, I think screaming and shouting is perfectly okay, <laughs> you know? So how can brands figure out what's important to them? I mean, I feel like that's a big question, but it feels important. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll go first. I think, you know, when a brand comes to us with this issue, we, we, we look at it in two ways. I think you've got to ask yourself two questions. One, how important is this to our stakeholders? Who cares? Which of them care, you know, and what do they want from us? And two, how does it fit with our, our long-term strategy, our business, how we make money? And I think you know, what we try to do, and, and we use heat maps, you could do it any way you want, but put them on a Y and an X axis and find everything that's in the top right corner. And talk about it as a team, I, you know, talk about it with your leadership team, know what fits into that top right corner. Because I think, you know, where brands go wrong is when something happens and they're not sure who it matters to, they're not sure if it aligns with their long-term business goals. And I think, you know, after you've settled on, on what is that list of things that belongs there, Let's talk about what we can do about them and, and get ahead of them. You know, what are things that we can invest in today that, that you know, if there's an issue, we can go to it and, and we can point to it. We can say, we are working on this. We're focused on this. And I think, you know, for the things in the other quadrants, you, you shouldn't put them aside, but, you know, focus your energy on what's in that top right and then, you know, have a plan for what's left. Don't just have it happen one day and be surprised because, you know, that's where you get in trouble. Yeah. I think part of the alignment also, uh, opportunity also comes down to your values as an organization, right? We were talking this morning, and, and we've all been in offices where people have the values all on the wall. And um, I'm going to date myself, but some of you remember the old successories posters with the eagle, you know, saying success. Oh, oh. You know, what, is, what does the eagle have to do with success, right? But instead of having just these blank words, are you really living those things out? Right. Um, you know, just using as an example, Lyle and I were talking this morning. And if you believe that that equity in voice is important. Right. Then what are you now doing to support your employees in that? And we were talking about an organization that said, you know what, we're going to give our employees at election day off. We don't want them having to choose between do I come in late? Do I use vacation time? Do I <coughs> come up with the sick time? in order to go vote. No, we're going to take that off the table, and we're just going to say, you know what? Take that Tuesday off. It's a vacation day, okay? But our expectation is you're going out to vote. That's an alignment between equity and voice if that's what an organization stands for. So, so I think that that's a starting point, right? What is important to us? And then from there, we can begin to see what are the social issues that map to that, right? So that there's alignment. Yeah, I'll say too... Yeah, I like it's the long term. It's like a long, long term. Like if you're not diving into this issue and have a plan on what that looks like, and to me that's a roadmap of, you know, how do you get deep into your social issue and aligning, aligning with your brand. So, for example, if um, 
for me, like mobility. So what does that look like? You know, I used to work with folks with disabilities. So being an advocate, and I think to your point, you know, how much you have to lift on the job, yeah, it absolutely takes out so many people. So even looking at your job descriptions and making sure that they are inclusive. So it's it's from like scouring over every piece of what you're putting out in the organization, I think is important. Um, so. so I feel like we've talked a lot about sort of getting prepared and, and having the right words potentially, but what about when it comes to action? Like how how we sort of the expectation from brands in terms of like actually acting and making change or contributing. What, what do we think about that? I think you can't just throw money at the issue. Yeah. <laughs> like don't just throw some money at the issue, post on LinkedIn and Twitter for a minute and then completely forget it. It doesn't work. It's disingenuine. People, people can see right through it. I like the bullshit factor. <laughs> people see it. I think what I'd add to that and build on it is it goes to preparation, right? Know what you want to achieve. Um, you know, I think Sally's right that if you just throw money at a problem once, it's 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 not doing anybody you know any favors. But have you know have a program? Throw money at you know a couple of different charities over the course of of many years. Um, you know, there, there's a wide range of things you can do when you have to speak out. It goes all the way from, as Arande was saying, you can start with an employee letter. You could do a social post. You can contribute to, you know, certain charities. You, you can leverage your organization, organization's charitable arm. Not, not everything needs to play out in a press release, in the media, in front of all of your stakeholders. It, it goes back to the, the biggest mistake I see companies make not just on this, but in crisis in general, is trying to communicate with everybody all at once. Know who your stakeholders are, know who's important, and know how to get to them quickly and efficiently with the best message for them. That's how you manage a crisis. That's how you manage you know, your brand reputation. And, and you've got to be prepared, and you've got to be willing to do that. And, and sometimes that means not going into public and, and having a battle in the press. Sometimes that means taking care of your house first. Um, say one thing. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I, actually, I actually think taking care of your house first is the most critical piece of it. Um, I've, you know, we've seen, or I've seen, where brands talk about it publicly, but they haven't even talked about it internally. And there's some really simple strategies that you can do. It's like talk about it every all-hands meeting. You know, spend your five minutes and make sure you're having these conversations and continue to talk to your employees about it and see where their viewpoints, because it's going to evolve over time. The FTX thing, for example, and social issues start to fade. Like they're so important for this week. And so making sure that you're continuing to have the discussion about it as they evolve and change. Yeah. And I, there's been a, a question um, from, the, from the audience, um, which I think fits nicely with this. So around many brands taking a stance on social issues has been called out for being performative. Um, what are the components of an authentic stance or statement on an issue? <laughs> this is definitely a freestyle a little bit, but because um, there's, not, there's not like a one, two, three, okay? Um, I think the, the first thing is um, both Sally and Lyle have mentioned, just throwing money at it is not the solution, right? Yeah. Is there some intentionality with the organizations that are being supported? 
Um, is there also a connection between your organizations, whether that's um, board participation, whether that's if that's services that you offer, um, that you're connecting with that organization? Um, how much are your employees aware of the connection that you have within that organization? So I think all of those things are important. And I know, Lau, you've got some additional thoughts in terms of um, ways to stay out of being performative as well. Yeah, I, I think... When I hear that question, I, I go back to, to what is performative, right? Like, who is it performative to? And, and I think a lot about, you know, we work with a lot of companies on their, their ESG sustainability programs focused on investors. And I think, you know, a, a lot of people who, who you know, are, are, aren't focused on, on that part of the market, you know, would think of a lot of these sustainability, wor- uh, sustainability reports as a lot of pictures, a lot of words, you know, not important. But I think, you know, we're moving from a time where, you know, it's important to speak out on issues, a, a time of, of public opinion changing to, I think, what is a time of, of investor democracy. And what I mean by that is there's a new SEC rule that lets anyone buy one share in any company and makes it much easier to run a proxy battle. And, you know, we, we have a theory that labor unions, uh, want, want single issue ESG activists are going to do that. They're going to buy one share and they're going to run a campaign at a public company and change board members. And nothing is more motivational to a public company than the possibility of losing a board member. And I think, you know, in answering what is perfunctory, if it's not perfunctory to your investors, right, and that's your target audience, then, then you should do it. But it might come across as perfunctory to some of your other stakeholders, and, and you need to be thinking about that, and, and maybe there's a way to change that. And I think Arande's making the right point. It's, you know... Let's do what's right for each stakeholder group. You know, if that means publishing a glossy sustainability report that has the right information for it, let's do that for investors. But, but maybe employees need something different. Maybe employees need programs throughout the year to talk about it. You know, maybe your customers need to see you, you know, tracking emissions directly with them or working with them or, or making certain senior lev- leaders available. You know, th- there's a wide variety of different things you can do, and I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I think what's important is you came to this session today, you're willing to talk about it. I think talking about it within your organization is important. I think, you know, crisis planning is a little bit like financial planning. Everyone puts it on the back burner and then realizes, oh, wait, I, I never did it. Uh, you know, crisis planning is, is one of the most important things you can do as a comms function, making sure you have a plan in place, a process, making sure you have the right people in the room to have the conversations when shit hits the fan and you need to know where those people are, how do you get them, how do you get them on a conference call, and what are you going to do? (laughs) I also think, I will say this, I think it's okay to speak out on issues that, you know, you can't dive completely into. Like, I don't think that you should shy away from absolutely everything because you can't put a five-year plan in place. There are things that come up, and again, we're in this digital world, fast and furious, information is coming at us, and um, I think it's okay to speak up as long as you're not, I mean, not everything, right? The minute Black Lives Matter, you're like, that's me, I got it. You know, the minute um, Elon Musk does something crazy, you know? That's me. I got this. Like, I'm going to speak up on it. Um, And I think if you're choosing your issues wisely and you have your plan in place, it's okay to talk about different things that affect us. Um, Because, you know, we're humans. We're going to talk about them, and that's okay. I think something that's important to remember is this isn't a sprint. 
I mean, it's 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 not even a marathon. It's 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 in many ways a race that we don't see the end finish line to. And so because of that, you've got to be willing to get into the race. Okay, I'm from the A. We say it this way. Don't be scared. <laughs> All right. You cannot be afraid to step out there because I don't know how this group is going to respond. I don't know how this group is going to respond. If you believe it's the right thing by you, your organization, and your people, and your shareholders, then you got to step out there, right, and go for it. And the reality is you might lose some people along the way, but you might gain a more loyal following because of the stance that you're willing to take. Right. And I think that that's kind of the side that people don't always take a look at and they get performative and I'll throw some dollars at it because, you know, I can throw some money at it and, and that'll fix everything. Right. As opposed to truly taking a stand for what's best for your organization, your people and your shareholders. So you you talk about it. Yeah, it's not a race. It's a, a marathon, not a sprint. Um, how important is it, do you think, to be fast or first, you know, when it comes to something happening in the world, it's maybe not something you've necessarily planned for, but you feel aligned and you want to have an opinion on it. You know, are you, are we sitting back being more thoughtful and going out with a response or is it about, you know, being seen? Not, it's not about being seen, but being fast. I think when I think about that question, again, I ask myself, what is fast? To me, fast is meaningful, right? At the end of the day, most people aren't going to remember how fast you were. They're going to remember that you made the right decision, that you used the right message, and that the long-term ramifications of what you did worked out. And I think, you know, one example we're seeing where it it didn't work out so well is is with Adidas and Yeezy. I think, you know, we were having a conversation the other day. You know, they weren't very quick to act. They acted, and and their long-term plan wasn't there. They, you know, they have a warehouse full of Yeezy shoes right now. They don't know what to do with. And every decision they make on what to do with them, someone doesn't like, right? They have a bunch of options. They're, they're all bad. And I think what was important about that is, is they came under pressure to speak out, to take action. And I'm not saying what they did was right or wrong, but they didn't know where they were going. They had no plan. I think it's important that when you choose the direction you're going to go on, have a plan, have a strategy, talk about it, make the right decision. No one remembers how fast you are. They remember when you get it right. So I actually disagree with that. (laughs) Good to disagree. I disagree a little bit. I don't think you need to be knee-jerk reaction, but I do think you need to do it in a timely manner. Because I, kind of to your point, Adidas took a while, and it felt like, oh, this is, you know, I have billions of dollars to lose. And also I've I've been in the situation where, it takes forever to get like an approval for something and people are just hemming and hawing and it's like I think people do remember when it takes too long and so having your plan but being agile because things are gonna come out of nowhere and um and I think even with Adidas like Kanye West was making anti-Semitic comments for a while. It didn't come out of nowhere. So I don't understand for me why, why did it take so long? Um, so. Yeah, the, the plan is the important part, I think, that, that um, I would highlight that Lau brought up. Do you have your crisis management plan in place? Um, and, and I think to, um, to Sally's point, and the human beings, in the absence of information, we make shit up, right? And so all of this delay... 
So Adidas really doesn't care, mm-hmm. right? Oh, so you're okay with Kanye's comments, right? That's, that's the, the narrative that starts getting made up along the way. And so if we've got a plan in place when certain issues uh, come up, then we can, without a knee-jerk reaction, go ahead and respond and make sure that we do what's right for the organization and for the people. And the other thing I'd add on that is, is another example is, is McDonald's pulling out of, of, of Russia after the war in Ukraine. They didn't do it at first. They were pressured into it by um, someone named Jeff Sonnenfeld at Yale. He, he tracked companies that, that didn't pull out, and investors were calling. But I think in hindsight, they, they went out, they did a, I think it was a Fortune article, and they explained to their stakeholders, you know, how did we get to this decision? And, and it was interesting that, you know, they had a plan the whole time. They, they, they looked at a, a couple of indicators. I think it was about five things, questions they were asking themselves. They met every day. And at the beginning, those things were flashing green. And by the time they pulled out, they were flashing red. But that whole time, they were preparing as if they would need to pull out at some point. And I think in hindsight, you know, maybe they weren't fast enough, but they explained to their stakeholders, this is how we got here. This is the questions we asked ourselves. This is why we did it. And this is where we ended up. And I think that did a service to their brand. I will say that some of us have privilege to give a shit. Now I swore, right? (laughs) Some people don't have that privilege. Um, I was a social worker. And people just choose the cheapest, you know what I mean? Like, they don't care if Dove washes oil off of ducks. They care that it was 99 cents. And so I think us sitting in the room, we do care. Obviously, you're here. But a lot of people are just like, whatever, give me something cheap. I'm going to, you know what I mean? And so it, it's interesting because I, McDonald's, I don't think, lost like a customer base because we know that off, like McDonald's and fast food restaurants are often, you know, there's so many people that have to go to them because they're in food deserts in marginalized communities. And so they might not necessarily lose a customer base, but something like Adidas, like I will never ever buy Adidas again. But Adidas is more expensive than McDonald's. Now, um, so yeah, we've talked a little bit, you brought up the customer there, which is a great segue. Um, we've talked a little bit about investors and internal comms. So yeah, just thinking about how is that, do you feel like there's any differences when you're, you know, putting a, a playbook of sorts together for customers and, and how you're sort of reaching them with your opinions on social issues? I, I think Sally raises a great point, right? Because I think that story about McDonald's, I think she's exactly right. I, I don't think she lo- they lost a single customer, but I guarantee you they lost investors. I guarantee you that suppliers were asking them questions. I guarantee you their employees were asking them questions. And so it goes back to the, you know, the, the premise of, of where I started, how do you prepare for these things? Know your stakeholder groups. Mm-hmm. You know, know who you need to speak to and know how to reach them. I think you know, each one has their own channel. If, if you haven't thought about this, the first thing you should do when you get back to your desk on whenever you get home is, is make a list. Make a list of all your stakeholders and make a list of, of how you communicate with them, who communicates with them, how they reach them, and, and what the best way to get them quickly is. Right. And, and I think every and you're not going to be the expert on every single one of them in your organization. That's why you need to start now. Right. You need to find out who it is, who you need to speak to. Right. Your head of supply chain is going to know who the key suppliers are. Your head of investor relations is going to know who who to call on the investor front. 
um, you know, your head of HR or, you know, the right communications team, they're going to know how do we communicate with employees? Where are the human resource groups? You know, wh which locations are vulnerable to certain issues? I think that's where, I think that's what you can do. And I think that's what's really important. Great. I will say one other thing. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes, too, people, if you're at an executive level, you get really far away from your customer base sometimes and your employees. So I think it's really, really important <laughs> to just keep, you know, talking to people. And you're going to have these super awkward conversations, you know, and, and that's okay, too. You know, I think you can fumble a little bit. And, and as long as you're trying to figure it out and you're talking to people, and I'm kind of talking more, like, internally, um, you're, it feels like you're doing the right thing. So I think it is okay to trip up a little bit and, like, give yourself some grace as long as you're working on it and you're working on it, you know, deep and, and for a long time, you know? So... Um, just another question that's come in. Um, so has the life cycle and duration for a crisis changed in the last 10 years? Yes. <laughs> Look, I, I think it goes back to, to digital. But again, it, it, it boils down to what do brands do wrong in a crisis, right? And I think um, Joelle herself was once giving a talk on, on what to do in a crisis. And the first thing she said was slow down. The first thing you need to do in a crisis is, is take stock. And I think the best way that you can be prepared to do this, and, and you know, th this is the takeaway I think I, I keep harping on, is think about who you are as an organization. What, are you, wh what do you have going on? What are your vulnerabilities? You know, what is your crisis plan? Do you have a foundation in place? Right? The best way that you can act quickly, like we've talked about, is by, have, is by knowing what you need to do when something happens, knowing who you need to get. And then I think the last thing that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about yet is, is simulate, simulate, simulate. You know, run real-time simulations. Again, it's, it's like finance planning. You, you have to plan, spend time, make two hours once a year, once a quarter, you know, and, and get your leadership team in a room and run a simulation. You can do it yourself. You can bring in a firm. You can... Um, you know, have the, make sure you have a, some collection of the people in the room and do it in as real a style as possible. Because likely the people who need to work together in a crisis situation are people who don't work together on a day-to-day -day basis. They don't know how to reach each other. They don't know each other's, you know, habits. They don't know how they communicate with their stakeholders. It's important to talk this out, gain familiarity with each other. You know, senior leadership teams, they meet once in a while, but a lot of it is downward reporting or talking to each other about the business not talking to each other about how to communicate and how to communicate quickly, how to make decisions quickly, who's in charge, you know, what are we deciding? I think that's really important. I think that the emails and social media has definitely ratcheted up the intensity of our need to respond and have that knee jerk uh, reaction that Sally was speaking to. Um, and so just co-signing exactly what Lyle was saying, if this is why you've got to make sure who's the crisis management team, who are we going to? Who are the people that need to be pulled, pulled in internally? Um, who are the firms that we have a relationship with? Maybe you don't have somebody on retainer, right? But who is it that we know, trust, and can reach out to that knows our brand and our business really well that can help us in that crisis? And so just even having the outline of that process when something happens, um, I think is going to be extremely helpful when all of a sudden the shit does hit the fan. It's like a fire drill. Everyone knows where the emergency exits are. Everyone should know who to go to. Um, can I spoiler alert on the QR code? 
Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, so I, I don't know why, because we keep talking about a plan. Um, and one of the things we talked about on the panel is to um, give you guys a little bit of an example of a plan. So just FYI, don't look at it right now, though. Don't get distracted. But we do have, like, an actual plan that you can follow. And I wanted to spoiler alert because I think sometimes we go to panels and people talk at a more high level, and we did want you to go home with something that you might be able to follow. Just a little taster, though. You have to work with Lila and I if you want to. <laughs> I've worked with both of them. They're phenomenal. Um, okay, we've had some other good questions, and I think this one is spot on. Um, so is it, we were talking about being performative earlier. Um, is it performative that at South by Southwest, um, we're here talking about inclusion and diversity, but Texas, uh, you know, in Texas, which is um, intent on violating human rights that we stand for? I think that's a great Ooh. question. <laughs> it's good we're talking, one. I think. I, I'll go first. I, I think it's important to talk about the issues. I think... You know, if, if nothing else, I think that's really important, Liv. I yeah. think, you know, is it perfunctory? I don't know. Again, I, I don't know what that means. I think that's for every one of you to decide. You're all here. So I think, you know, that means that you think it's important. You've come here and you've heard this talk. I think, you know, that, that's relevant, right? Um, but it's in a vacuum. Go tell your friends. Yeah, I will say, too, that... Not everyone in Texas <laughs> is intent in violating human rights. And it's interesting because I took a lot of Ubers, and I talked to every single driver about this panel, about trans rights, about Roe versus Wade. And I wasn't scared to do it because they're important conversations, and everyone has their opinion, um, and, and that's okay, too. And I also think that we are in a time where we're, like, so black and white so black and white. And I think we need to be able to have the conversations with people that you completely disagree with um, and learn why, like learn why. why. Why is this your opinion? And also not be scared to, to lose people or to make people a little bit angry. There's, a, um, there's an Asian therapist who has a, has a quote that I use a lot of times with um, issues of inclusion. Um, her name is Ivy Kwong. And um, she says, none of us has to shrink in order for all of us to shine. And, and I think that to Sally's point, it's really important that we do get together and begin to have some dialogue and some conversation and see what are the ways that we can move things forward, right? Um, yeah, we're here in Texas, South by Southwest, right? A few years ago in my hometown, um, the decision was made by a lot of companies to, um, well, first starting off with Major League Baseball, cancel the All-Star game in Atlanta, Right. And a lot of people were like, yes, thank you. Somebody's taking a stand. And there are a lot of people there who said, you know what, economically, this is hurting us, right? And unfortunately, we didn't necessarily, and it didn't play out in the public where we were able to have both sides get together and truly have some dialogue and conversation. And I think that that's, that's a missing element, right? We've gotten so polarized that we're not talking about, you know, how do we, how do we try to move these things forward? Um, and, and I think that's just a... That's a, a missing piece in where we are in society is just being able to, uh, to talk things out a little bit more. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just finding another question that had come up. Oh, okay, this is, yeah, this is interesting. Um, maybe linked a little bit to the sort of the fast and 
first versus thinking it through strategy. Um, what does a, a quick and well-crafted statement look like? Quick. <laughs> a quick and well-crafted statement. Well, um, I, I work with um, a large aerospace and defense company and, and um, their crises happen fast. And so I think, you know, what's interesting is, is when you're writing a statement, thinking about, you know, what, what is the shape of it? I think, you know, knowing at the outset what you want, and, and I think one example of that is, you know, they had an issue and, and where do you want to be? You want to be conciliatory, you know, you want to be factual, and you want to make sure that, you know, in a regulatory situation, you're aligning with the regulators. And I think what's important to that question, which I think about a lot more, is I think it's less important about what you say in a media statement. I think, and there's two points to that. One is what we've talked about a bunch throughout this panel. Like, make sure you're communicating with your stakeholders. Make sure you're giving the facts. Make sure you're getting the information. I think one thing that, that, that companies don't do well is they want to rush out with half-baked information when, when you don't have everything. But I think the other thing is, is thinking about who your third-party validators are. I think, you know, companies, companies, communicators, CEOs, they like to defend themselves. And, and that's just not, it doesn't tend to be effective. It comes off as perfunctory. Like, of course, you're defending yourself. But, but go find the people in your universe, your, your customers, your suppliers, experts who use your product, um, who, who know what you're about, right? And if you have something that goes wrong, let them come to your aid. Let them say, you know, I've worked with Arande. He's exceptional. You know, he, he's an expert on, on this topic, and, you know, he, there's no way he said what, what someone's saying he said. Or, you know, I've worked with Sally's company. Their technology is incredible. We use it across all of our product line. It's changed the game for us. And it lessens the need for your statement. I think, you know, sometimes we get hung up on, on what our media statement says. And, and, you know, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, half of a sentence of that media statement will make it into every news story. So, I, you know, I tend to, to think that, you know, that's one element of your plan, but I, I would encourage you all to think broader than that. Yeah, and maybe it's not necessarily about getting a media statement. It's, it's again, about doing the right thing and not necessarily doing it for the gains of coverage or, you know, whatever. I think also if you're unlucky, sometimes the media statement <laughs> will make it. If you've really made the wrong decision... Yeah. And I also think it's okay to not make a statement, to shut the F up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, before we, I want to allow anyone in the crowd to um, do questions on the, on the microphone, but just as a summary, and we, Sally, queued up our QR code, um, what next steps, you know, should brands be taking to get this sort of crisis comp playbook, you know, in place, like, that's like three takeaways, give everyone sort of something to go away with. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to hit it from a different angle than my colleagues, and, and that is um, simply this. Make sure you have uh, diverse experiences, lived experiences, and people in the room um, so that you are having a more holistic approach um, to addressing the crisis communications as they're coming out. I, I would say go home and talk about this. Go home talk about what you learned, talk about what we talked about, mm -hmm. make sure your company has a plan, make sure you've thought about it, make sure your CEO or your leaders have thought about it, um, you know, and make sure you have what you need to be effective. Yeah. 
any thought, parting words, Sally? <laughs> oh, you know, I was, I think diversity is so important. Um, for me, I was the youngest one on the executive staff. I was pregnant in 2020 and 2021 during a pandemic. Um, so it affected me so differently than the people who were on the executive team and even returned to work. And so I think having, having your voices and making sure, you know, um, just like you have mothers, right? You have people of color. You have, uh, you think about it in a really, um, in a really more like broad way. So. Okay. Yeah. Questions. Let's Hi. Um, thank you all for your time. Uh, my name is Lindsay. I do equity and cultural consultation work for a sports marketing agency by the name of Wasserman. And we represent a lot of brands who often find themselves in positions where they're contradicting themselves when they're making statements. So I would love to get your thoughts. Just an example, company X has leadership that supports um, financially a senator who supports an anti-trans bill, bill. And then during Pride Month, we're changing logos to rainbows and we're having a programming. How do we consult them and say, you're kind of hustling backwards on your equity and inclusion work when you contradict yourself based on actions versus statements? I think that's a really important question. And I think there's there's no easy answer is, is, is the simple version, um, but I think that counseling them is, is the hardest part. I think they need to look inwards, right? And I think that's the part that's tough is, is if they have people like that in their organization and that's not aligned with their organization's goals, they need to think hard about, you know, what, what we've talked about today, right? Is, is where their organization is where their people are? And if not, do they need to think about both whether it's where their organization is or who their people are? I think, you know, and, and I don't think that's necessarily an easy conversation for a counselor to have. Um, I also don't think it's necessarily a, a situation for a counselor to resolve. I think, that, that, bluntly, I think that this issue that we're talking about today is, is one of the hardest things to counsel on. I think that brands and companies need to make their own decisions. It, it, in this situation, more than any, I think my job is to facilitate having those conversations. My job is to ask the right questions, be an objective third party and make sure all things have been considered um, to make sure that they've, they've made the right decision for themselves. And I think it's also important. This is why the work has to start internally first, right? And so if we're, if we're educating these uh, executive leaders um, on, you know, what the challenges are um, for those who are in the trans community, if, if we're educating them on um, how these actions can be seen as, as not just biased but harmful um, and beginning to have those kinds of conversations, right? We can't control what people take in and how they internalize it and make changes, but we can put all of that on the table. I think the second part to that is there's a responsibility that a, that executive has um, as a an executive and potentially an officer of that organization. And this is what we're saying we stand for as an organization. And what you've done in supporting this particular candidate or politician is in opposition to that. And we need to actually have that conversation and call that out, right? Um, and that's that's not comfortable for anybody. Right. And especially for those of us who might be outside of the organization, because let's be real, in the back of your mind, you're going, am I going to get fired right now? 
is this going to cause, you know, some compromise in terms of, of my job? But if my integrity is saying, you know what, I've got to at least put this on the table. Uh, and so I think there's two sides. There's, there's the educating the person so that um, they can hopefully grow and understand how that's harmful and educating them on the rights and sometimes what might feel like the lack of rights that an executive has because they are representing an organization. You know, I will also say mentorship. Like, we're growing the next generation of leaders. So I think having the conversation with the people, with, with kind of employees in the company and nurturing these different diverse ideas is so critical. And, I'll, and again, I'll say, you know, I really fought for the things I believed in, and I got laid off. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I have the privilege, the privilege to get laid off. Like, you know, and, and, but, but it also happens when you have those hard conversations, and that's what makes it so scary. Just one thing I'd add, too, is I think I find that sometimes companies we work for, they don't talk internally either. And sort of departments live in silos, and, you know, someone's going to check a box for, for pride or something, you know, put the post out, change the flag, and they're not, you know, talk, they don't necessarily know who they're, you know, investor or politicians that we're working with are. And, and so those, those conversations like, need to happen. Everyone needs to be on the same page. Hi. Um, thank you very much for everything. Um, something you guys haven't touched on is how do you know you're in a crisis? So when a small fire starts, what are you looking for in order to get yourself in line and get ready for it? I'll say that's, that's so hard. Um, <laughs> I personally think that things blow up really fast. I really do. I, I, I haven't seen it where, I think small fires, gosh, it's just such a hard question. Um, again, we are just bombarded with information. And when it's like a crisis crisis, it does blow up. And it blows up really, really fast. Um, and you have your plan. And you have your plan. I, I think it's a little bit like asking, like, how do I know I'm in the good old days? I, I, I think... It's hard. It's, it's not an easy thing. I, I think the best advices I could give is, is have experienced people around. I think, you know, and, and I'm not trying to pitch myself, but, you know, whether that's someone in your organization, whether it's someone outside of your organization, you know, it, it's most important, and Liv just made this point, to communicate, right? Have experienced people weigh in on issues. Know your process, right? Know who is in the crisis communication kind of line of discussion. Um, and, and make sure that, that they're talking. Because I think that the best way to put out a fire early is when someone knows that it has the potential to, to, to become something bigger. And I think, again, what, what happens too much is a media inquiry comes in and it doesn't get to the right person, right? Or, you know, an employee has an issue and it doesn't escalate the right way. Or, um, you know, there's an investigation on something and it gets bungled. Because the more, the, you know, the whatever, the, the more experienced individual, the outside law firm wasn't appraised of everything. And we've seen it play out in real life a couple of times. Um, and, and I think that's the most important thing is, is make sure you have the right people in the room and, and make sure you have experience in the room. Speak, speaking of outside law firms, I'm, I'm a lawyer. So what I want to talk about is yeah, I've been practicing about 30 years, almost 20 of which were spent with a really big company where, where you live. Um, and, and we can talk about that after. But, you know, in, in my experience, what I've watched, what, what you said, Liv, about making sure everybody's talking to one another, yeah. a lot of people think legal can solve everything. 
And when you're talking about crisis management, no, they can't. And when you're looking at celebrity endorsements or athlete endorsements where, you know, you mentioned the easy one, there have been so many over the last 20 years. And, you know, back in, back in say, 2000, when I was negotiating a high-profile celebrity endorsement agreement, the morals clause was a really difficult thing to get. Because the agents and managers and lawyers would say, oh, my, my, my person would never do that. We don't need to worry about that. And, and companies had a really hard time building that into the contract. Then some things happened with squeaky clean, high-profile people, and now that's table stakes. But the problem is that still doesn't solve everything. You've got a morals clause in there that says, hey, if you do this, this, or this, what if you're alleged to have done something? And I, I was part of a situation with a, with a big company where a high-profile celebrity was accused of sexual assault, denied it, and so you've sort of got this big public faction saying, you know, no means no, and if, if she says it happened, then it happened, and another big faction saying, hey, innocent till proven guilty, you know, give the person a chance, and the company was paralyzed absolutely paralyzed because there was no position they could take that was going to solve and satisfy both factions. So they just went dark. Um, and, and that was one option, but that was a learning experience for the company. And so I guess I'm, I'm trying to think if there's a question in here, <laughs> which, which might be, you know, how, how do you work with legal? Because as legal, I reach out to you. And I make sure that when we do these deals, that we have plans in place and that, you know what, when we're working on a marketing campaign, it's not just about the messaging we're going to put out. It's about getting CX involved. It's about making sure that when calls come in, they know what to say. Sure. So um, let me let me start and then then you guys could jump just, in. Just a fuck, we have three minutes left. So I'm sorry. I'll be super snappy. I think first I'll say my my legal and my finance colleagues are some of my most important assets in, in any situation. I think Liv made the right point. When, when silos go up, you know, I think a, a, a legal problem, not every problem has a legal solution. And Sometimes when a problem has a legal solution, it's not the right communication solution. And it's important that you get to the person, and this goes to my experience point, you get to a decision maker, right? And sometimes there's a hard decision to be made. You know, is this a legal problem? Is it a communication problem? What's more important and how are we going to deal with it? Uh, and I think that's the best advice as I could give is, is make sure you're listening to, to all of your counsel. Make sure you're listening to your experienced team and, and make a good decision for your, your company. Hi. Um, so I work for a brand that prior to my time um, with the company and honestly most of the new communications team, in 2020, they made huge statements, and I think we all kind of know what that's regarding, um, around social issues. And they were absolutely not prepared to make the statements that they made. And so now my team and most of the communications team is in a situation where... <sighs> <laughs> it's almost like we have to backtrack so that we can scale back the communications to be more authentic to where the organization is at. And the organization is realizing that they shouldn't have done what they did without being prepared. So I don't, especially from a moral standpoint, don't love that situation. Um, so I'm wondering what thoughts you have on being in that position where you need to take it back and go back to where the company is authentically, but then you already have this history of 
hypocrisy. Like, you're basically in a position of being a hypocrite. So how would you handle that? I'm going to say one thing. Listen to your PR team. Your PR team is smart. I've worked with Liv and listen. Like, for me, it's listening. And also, you know, I think it's okay to be authentically look, we, we spoke out on these issues and we weren't prepared for them. So what are we trying to do to rectify that? It's okay yeah. to be wrong sometimes. Yeah, it's okay. Thank you. Hi. How do you handle external communications with your customers and your stakeholders whenever your employees don't align on the issue that's being addressed? I think it's really hard. I think um, it's, a, it's a challenging question. I, I had a company um, when the Dobbs decision came down, you know, they, they communicated with their employees. They're a, 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 um, very much a pro-choice company, uh, employees all throughout the United States, in, uh, including in Texas and, and other um, what I would call pro-life areas. And, and, and they did all the right things internally, and, and they had to make a decision, you know, what are we going to do externally? Um, and, and they were they were running a very important kind of campaign in D.C., an advocacy campaign, both in D.C. and in local capitals throughout the country that was core to their business. And I think, um, you know, where their employees were, right, which is pro-choice, was not necessarily where all of their other stakeholders were. So it's a little bit of an inverse of your question. But um, and, and they had to make a tough sacrifice. I think they ultimately decided, we talked about it a lot, we slept on it, we thought about it. They decided that that wasn't the issue that they were going to speak out on because they had a big issue they were speaking out on already. Um, and and th the core of it was the issue that they were speaking out on was bipartisan. And unfortunately, abortion is not bipartisan right now. And so, the, you know, they had to choose to to do the thing that made sense for their business. But I think that was a really tough choice for them. It was a sacrifice. I don't know that necessarily anybody was happy about it at the end of the day, um, but but sometimes you know it's important to to stick with kind of the plan. Uh, I'm just curious, from uh, as someone that's currently not in a authority authoritative leadership role um, and works for uh, has works for a company that tends to never speak out. Uh, I'm just curious, I'm a Ukrainian Jew, and so this last year has been an interesting year for me and my family, but I've been trying to be a little bit more vocal and influential in the workspace to bring up issues that are not only personally impactful to me, but to my, my, my you know, friends and others. How, how do we tactfully uh, come to our leadership that, claims to have an open door, but yet never actually takes this, the, 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 the action to speak out, uh, you know, and someone who, you know, has lost his job for being a little too vocal in the past too. I mean, how do we, how do we, how do we be better? I think you have to remember it only takes one. And so, you know, sometimes it's, it's just a matter of getting to that right person that hears what's important to you and why it's important to you. Um, and, and I would also say um, be careful not to have a certain expectation of how your organization is going to respond. If it's important to you that as a Ukrainian Jew, they understand why this is important to you and you want to make sure that that's communicated throughout the levels of leadership, focus on that as, as what you're communicating with them, right? But it only takes one person. It only takes one leader to hear 
not only the importance, but the heart of, you know, why I'm bringing this up for it to then escalate and get to other people. So I would just encourage you, it's, it's, you know, again, this is the, this is the marathon part of it, right? How can I continue to have these conversations with people until someone really listens to what I'm saying um, and figures out a way that we can be supportive in whatever support looks like within the company that you're a part of? Thank you. Okay, I know we're a little bit over. Thanks for sticking with us. We're going to shut the F up now. So thank you. (laughs)